Welcome back to our study. We're in Ecclesiastes. Do you, have you guys been having fun with Ecclesiastes? Is it, I mean, are you doing okay with it? I mean, you're still here, so either you feel guilty enough to, to come back or um, you're liking it. The hardest part of Ecclesiastes for me are, are chapter 6, 7, 8, 9. It, it starts to get very repetitive. And so in some ways, if I was preaching this text um, from uh, just as a solo passage, just randomly on like a Sunday, uh, I might focus on some of the the more prominent themes, but you can apply some of this stuff as he talks about wisdom. He gives general principles for life. You can apply it to so many different things. And so um, the Bible has been called um, a timeless book, and therefore it always has timely messages. And uh, tonight, I think you'll find um, you'll find it to be very timely. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 8 and walk through verses 2 through 17, so really the whole chapter. And the topic, the main theme for tonight, is bringing change to a broken world. Bringing change to a broken world. Have you watched the news lately? It seems um, it seems like the trajectory isn't very good. I don't know if you get that impression or not, but if you look over the last several thousand years in every civilization, every society, I imagine everyone at every point in time could say that. It doesn't look like the trajectory is very good. And of course, Solomon's going to teach us about some injustices tonight, some brokenness. And, and as we see that, we, we rem- remember that ultimately, he's talking about what life on earth looks like if you don't have God. See, a lot of this and a lot of what you find in the Bible isn't necessarily, hey, you should do it this way. It's, hey, you shouldn't do it this way. And so just because he shares these things doesn't mean that it's hopeless because we know with Christ, everything can be redeemed. And as believers, we're called the first fruits, that this world is broken, it's sinful, and it's groaning out. It wants to be redeemed. Everyone wants to be changed. Everyone wants to be transformed. Uh, So many of our actions and our rebellion come from something deep inside saying, I want to be made new. I want a better life. I want to be what God created me to be. And so when it looks like uh, what it has in the last week with the whole society just fighting each other, just rebelling against each other. One side saying, tell me I'm right. The other side saying, I know I'm right. And then just pointing fingers and hitting each other and fighting with each other saying, we're right. And yet nobody has any moral ground to stand on because everyone's in the same boat and that boat is wrong. <laughs> and you might have a liberty and freedom to do something, but the way in which you do it matters. And to God, maybe it matters more than what you're actually doing. And so I don't know, um, I don't know what your cause is. Maybe you're a social justice person, a human rights person. Maybe you want peace in the world. Maybe you want all the starving children to have food. I hope you want all those things. I think God cares about those things. Um, as Christians, we're commanded in many places in scripture to care about those things. And because we've been set free in Christ, we find that our heart does care about him. But ultimately, if you're anything like me, and, and I'm just being honest with you, when I see things like what we have in the last week on TV in Charlottesville, something inside of me says, I don't know how to help. Like, what do I do? I mean, you can pray, but like, how do you actually enact change when something seems so much bigger than you and everyone's coming at a million different directions saying, we're going to do it the right way and we know how to get it done and you got to go this route and you can no, do this. And as Christians, sometimes you're just like, I... I don't know, especially when some of us in the middle of Kansas, we can't relate to a lot of this stuff. Let's just be straight. Some of us cannot relate to a lot of the inequalities that are happening. 
And so we think, well, do we just ignore it and pretend it's not happening? Or do we embrace it and go crazy and, and try to fix it? What do we do with it? And so I want you, um, as we walk through this tonight, I want you to think about, think about your cause. If you're standing before a king, a king who could actually change things, and he said, you could, you could ask me anything you want. I'll see what I can do to make it happen. What would you say? What's at the top of your priority list? Because God wants to redeem this world, but ultimately what Solomon's going to teach us tonight is he's going he's to help us to see how do you interact if you want to really actually enact change in this world? How do you interact with rulers, with authorities? Whether we're talking about your spouse in your relationship, your boss at work, the city um, council, all the way up to the president of the United States. How do you, how do you work with these people? What do you do? How do you actually enact change? And uh, we'll see what God does with it tonight. So if you've got a Bible, feel free to open it up. If you don't, hey, i got one for you. That's very convenient. Verse 2 is where we're at. Solomon says, Obey the king. Obey the king. Most of us would just drop off right there. <laughs> Say, nah, I don't like submission. I don't like obedience. But he says, Obey the king. Of course, he's a king. So that's convenient. Since you vowed to God that you would. And don't try to avoid doing your duty. And don't stand with those who plot evil, for the king can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power, and no one can resist or question it. And those who obey him will not be punished. Those who are wise will find a time and a way to do what is right. For there is a time and a way for everything, even when a person is in trouble. So right off the bat, first thing we see, if you want to enact change, if you want to bring change to a broken world, you've got to deal wisely with the authorities. You've got to deal wisely. How many of the, the junk we've seen in the news, if we just took this and just be smart with authorities, could nix about half of the problems, right? Half of the blame game would go away. It's like, just, just be smart. If they say, put your hands in your pocket, they say, don't reach for that. If they say, just do what we say, and you just did what they said, how much would be fixed right off the bat? But remember, Solomon's a judge. He's a king. He had everyone under him, and he's saying, I've been doing this for a while. And so I'm telling my citizens, I'm telling people out there, if you want to work with the government, if you want to work with the king, if you want to get something done, here's how you need to come to the table. It's not the way you think. It's not, it's not what your family got you all psyched up to do and fanned into flame, your rebellious heart. Say, so you go there, you tell them what to do, and we're going to get something done. No, Solomon said, I'm the king, I'm telling you, this is how we do it. And of course, what we see on a human level, we see on a heavenly level, when we interact with God, a lot of these same principles hold true as well. See, God works through authority. He's made that very clear all throughout Scripture. So those, um, and it's not coincidental, those who have trouble with earthly authority generally always have trouble with heavenly authority. And God has directly connected our relationship with him to our relationship with others. So if you say, my relationship with the Lord Jesus is healthy, but you can't submit and work with authorities on earth, probably not as healthy a relationship with Lord Jesus as you think. And God's saying, I, I have set this thing up. Parents obey, or excuse me, kids obey your parents. Wives and husbands, I even, I even changed some authority stuff there. The local church, there's some authority for some people and not so much for some other people. The government, kings, 
You look at Romans 13, God makes it clear. Even some of the leaders you don't like, God's saying, I put them here and, and, and for, if, for no other reason because I want to see if you can't submit to them, you probably can't submit to me. You ain't going to fool all your friends very long. But here's the thing, you and I, we, um, we might not want to admit it, but we're rebels. Like, we got rebel hearts, especially in the USA. You say, what are you talking about? It's like, oh, we love it, right? I mean, the Revolutionary War, who rebelled against who? <laughs> 13 rebelled against Great Britain, Great Britain. I mean, it, it, like, it's it just, it, it's there. You look at Protestants, you say, yeah, I go to a Baptist church, Methodist church, whatever church, anything outside of the Catholic church that you might consider Christian. Guess who rebelled against who? The Protestant Reformation. You look at democracy. It's a rebellion against a certain type of government. You look on social media. People are going back to school. Probably not going to find too many teenagers say, okay, guys, just a reminder, respect and honor your teachers and your parents as we get going. Like, nobody talks about submission. It's not the cool thing. We're a little bit of a rebellious country. And sometimes we think that everything we rebel for is always a worthy cause. And God's saying there's a right way to do things, a right time, a right place. And you've got to be smart. You've got to be wise. And the bottom line is, um, for some of us, we, want, we, we are influencers and we want to be influencers. Some of us want things to change in our marriage. We want things to change at work. We know that there's some rules, there, there's some authority issues, and we want things to change in our city, in our state, in our country. But if you don't go about it in the right way, then, then you might just blame yourself. And so Solomon ultimately gives us at least seven rules of engagement. We're going to move quickly through them so you can jot down uh, these seven things and look at them later. But let's walk through this real quick. The first one is, he says, obey the king. You've got to start with submission. Some of us, we were attracted to a cause in life, whether that cause might be human rights, social justice, whatever it is, but we don't actually care about the cause. What we really care about is conflict. Some of us are just drawn to conflict. We don't want to actually obey anyone. We just want to make sure there's no authority above us. We, just, we don't want authority. And so you've got to start with your heart and say, do I just have a rebellious heart? Do, like, maybe I say, well, I'm not happy at my job. I want things to change at work. I want my boss to respect me and honor. But, but if you went to five other jobs, would you just do the same thing in all those jobs? Like, would there ever be a boss that's good enough to rule over you? Would there ever be a husband or a wife that you could submit to? Would there ever be a president that could make you pray for him and submit to whatever he says, good or bad. You've got to check your heart. You've got to start with submission. You've got to, number two, remember, it's, it's all about God. Again, Romans 13, God put authorities in place. He, he ultimately is the ultimate authority. If you can't deal with authorities on earth, probably not going to be submitting much to him. Number three, don't try to avoid your duties and don't bow out is the theme. Don't bow out. Some of us, when we get dissatisfied in life, we have learned many bad habits when it comes to conflict and enacting change. Some of us have had run-ins with the law. We've had run-ins with mom and dad. We've had run-ins with people. And we have some ways that aren't very good in the way that we deal with them. We develop some bad habits. And one of them is, you know what? I'm dissatisfied with you, so the way that I'm going to enact change isn't to man up and just to be healthy and to talk and communicate. No, I'm just going to dissatisfy you. Oh, husband, wife, you won't give me what I want? I'm going to withhold some things from you. 
Oh, boss, you're not treating me the way. Wait till you see how much I get done today. <laughs> not much. Newsflash. Facebook's got a lot going on. Like, to take away satisfaction from someone else, to say, I'm just not going to do my job because you don't do your... That's not what God wants. Don't bow out. Passive-aggressive is not the way God's saying do it. Number four, don't fight evil with evil. Hey, guess what? Not every protest is good and holy and perfect. Judas came with a mob too. If you're being abused, maybe just call the cops. Don't abuse them back. If you want political change, take the route, the avenue, vote for the right people, get out there and do something instead of just complaining and fighting. And there's routes to get things done in a healthy way. Take those avenues. Don't fight evil. His command is back by... Next thing, be humble. The king can do whatever he wants. His command is backed by great power. No one can resist or question it. If you want to stand up in your marriage and you're saying, we need things to change, recognize they could dump you, they could divorce you. They could. You say, things need to change at work. Okay, talk to them, do this, but recognize if you get a little bit arrogant, they can fire you. I have a loved one. Got fired. How did you get fired? Well, I was having a bad day. I was talking to my boss, and then we were working together. And, and then finally, I just mouthed off a little bit, and they just fired me on the spot. <laughs> Be humble. Recognize who's got the power. Some of us get so psyched up for our cause, we start to think we have authority that we don't really have. Don't be stupid. This is really practical, isn't it? Don't be stupid. Those who obey him will not be punished. Again, back to the cop situation. Lots of injustices in that area. But how we have got to the place where we hate our law enforcement is ridiculous. Nobody wants to take responsibility and say, you know what, it's true. Maybe they were a little bit harsh, but they got to make split-second decisions. And if you just do what you say, or do what they say, and then something bad happens, that's a conversation. But that's not the conversation we're having. It's, no, you didn't do what they said, and you're blaming them, saying they're mean to me. No, like, they got to make decisions. Just don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. And last but not least, be shrewd. Be wise. There's a time, there's a place, again, just because you got a cause in life that you might think this is what I need to be doing. God wants me to do this for his kingdom. There's a time, there's a place, there's a way to do it. And God's saying, you need to be smart. You need to be wise. And, and you can't just sit back and say, no, I got to go gung-ho because I got a cause. God's saying, if you get ahead of me, it's not going to work well for you. Be patient. Some of us have had to stay in jobs for years We didn't want to stay in that job for days because we knew change is coming. Just got to be patient. Your marriage, I'm I'm bailing. This is the last straw. There's a time, there's a place. If you're arguing, you give them some space. Relax, don't make this worse by getting ahead of God. You guys, um, any of y'all watching those house flipping shows? You guys, any HGTV people? What's your favorite one? Throw one out there. Fixer Upper. Okay, good one. Good one. Here's a theme that you see through all of them. People want their house to change. 
They're saying, let's enact change. Let's bring these people in. And oftentimes, no matter what the show is, they will let the homeowners partake in one specific part of this whole thing. What part is that? Demolition. They say, come on. They put on their goggles and they get a sledgehammer and go, ding. And then they go, oh, this is really fun. And they say, okay, get out of here. Let's go on to something else. But how often do they invite the homeowners back in to do the skilled labor? Not very often at all. Why? Because demo is easy. Everyone can see the problem and demolish it. Not many people are wise enough to build it back up the way it should be. And we live in a society of people who love justice, not realizing we ourselves are condemned and we don't necessarily have the answers, but we can find the problem, right? And so we condemn everything out there, but no one's got any answers. Don't go blindly running into anything saying, well, they invited me in for the demo. No, if you're going to engage with authorities, you need to make sure you don't just point out problems. you got legit solutions. You know, someone who um, did all these things and did them well is a man named Jesus. In his life, he paid his taxes. He was under a broken, flawed government, probably way more flawed than ours. And yet, even to his death, standing before someone who's going to say, hey, we're going to kill you if you don't speak up for yourself. He humbly does what he's supposed to do. And thank God he did the Father's will in the midst of a broken society and government because we're all the beneficiaries. Some of us say, I'm going to move to Canada. I can't live under the... If Jesus can fulfill the Father's will in a broken society, I'm pretty sure you can. And if you say, well, that's Jesus. Look at Daniel. Verse 9. So this thing starts really practical in verses 2 through 6. And now we start to get a little bit higher up and we start to see the 30,000 foot view. So we went from ground level and now we're going to take this up and really look at it from a distance. Verse 7 says, Indeed, how can people avoid what they don't know is going to happen? None of us can hold back our spirit from departing. None of us has the power to prevent the day of our death. There's no escaping that obligation, that dark battle. So Solomon's like, okay, I want to give you some tips. Here's how you interact with the king. Here's how you get things done in our society. But at the same time, like, we're all going to die. And there's some things that, like, you can't change. There's limitations to your causes. There's no escaping. He's talking about judgment day. And in the face of death, wickedness will certainly not rescue the wicked. Remember all those verses we read earlier about everyone's a sinner? And then we talk about original sin. He says, surely no one's... The wicked would be all of us trying to rescue the wicked. And I have thought deeply about all that goes on here under the sun, where people have the power to hurt each other. Second thing we see... First one, you've got to deal wisely with authority. Second one, you've got to trust in the ultimate authority. You remember back in 2008 when um, President Obama, he, he was asked about abortion. Rick Warren, he was there at the church, and Rick Warren asked him about when human life starts. So civil rights, a human right issue. And McCain said, starts at conception. That's when human life starts. And then Obama said the famous quote, that's above my pay grade. Remember that? It's above my pay grade. And everyone's like, no, you gotta make you gotta make a decision. You gotta make a decision. To some degree, uh, this is what Solomon's experiencing. He's like, there's just some things. 
Like I could do, if you came to me and you did it in a shrewd, wise way, I could change some things in this kingdom. But there's some things that I can't. There's just some things I can't. Sometimes I think, um, I think we go about things the wrong way. Some of us get so focused on social justice, we get so focused on human rights, we get so focused on whatever your cause is that, that we forget. If you simply care about redeeming life on earth but not souls to heaven, you're just planting flowers on the road to hell. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes, and I think what Solomon's ultimately doing is he, he's saying, you've got to understand Change can happen. Don't stop fighting for change. God wants to redeem this world, but at the same time, we only got so much power. God is sovereign. And you've got to trust that. You've got to believe that. And you've got to ultimately, I think this is, this is helping in, in my personal philosophy on how I actually enact change. And it's, hey, don't lose sight of people's souls. There's some churches that honestly, if you followed them, Facebook, if you followed their Twitter feed, if you heard a couple sermons, you would think their primary message was social justice. That's the cool thing, right? And it's like, but what about the gospel to save a soul? (laughs) You don't want to pamper people on earth simply, simply to watch them go to hell. Social justice is important, but let's not get the cart before the horse. We're called biblically to care about people holistically. It starts with their soul all the way to the soles of their feet. We want to take care of people. We want to love them. But remember, only God is the one that's ultimately in control. You've got limitations. You've got you to trust that God rules over all. He says the wicked can't rescue the wicked. How many times do people find themselves frustrated because they've got their cause and they're going after it and they're trying to enact change and they just realize, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not getting as far as I want. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. And, and even more than that, you've got to realize God's got a bigger plan. We're going to talk about that in a bit. But it's not all going to get fulfilled today, right now, through your actions. Hey, here's what I... You guys ever watch that movie, American Sniper? It came out months ago and ultimately if you didn't see it i don't want to be a spoiler alert for you but i'll be a spoiler alert for you it's it's about a terrorist who let's be honest a lot of people around the world wanted to see dead and about a guy and part of our military who goes out and says i'm gonna i'm gonna one at a time we're going to take it we're gonna hunt him down we're gonna take care of this so you got a wicked guy who then the good guys right everyone thinks they're the good guys we come along and we're trying to take him out and by the end of the movie, we all know how it goes. That guy's not alive anymore. The, the wicked guy perished. But if you go past the movie, what happened to that sniper? He's dead too. He was killed. So the, good, so the good guy kills the wicked guy, but then the good guy gets killed by another guy who's wicked, but just happened to be on his same team. Another military guy who they're post-military time and yet they're in a gun range and he goes a little berserk and kills the sniper the american hero dies by the hands of another american gets away from all the guys in the middle east but comes home and gets killed and you just see like how does this happen 
Like the, 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 there's wicked and then there's some good and they tried to help it, but then the good got killed by more wicked and the wicked is us. And as sad as all of it is, all of it, ultimately that's what Solomon's saying. He's like, wicked people can't rescue wicked people. At, at the day of judgment, at the day of judgment when you stand before God, one wicked man can't do anything to help another wicked man. So, justice on earth is always flawed and it's always temporary because it's wicked people helping wicked people. And we don't have the power that we think we do in a lot of cases. I, um, well, let me, let me just say this before we, we, we move on. We were at GLS, the Global Leadership Summit, um, last week, and it's all about, obviously, leadership. 400,000 people all over the world uh, watching this simulcast. And, and it's obviously practical leadership tips for most of the people who are speaking. It's one speaker after another. But there's a gal. I'm going to say her name because I would butcher it if I did it from memory. Immaculate Ilibagziba. She's from Rwanda. 1994, she was part of the genocide where her people, her tribe, the Tutsi people, were um, obliterated. Almost a million of them killed within just a few weeks. And what had happened was several tribes all in one country, lots of hate. They kill the president of her tribe, the Tutsi people. And then the government gets on the airwaves and say, it's a free-for-all, kill all your neighbors, kill your, the, this whole tribe. They wanted to take out this whole tribe. And so they go slaughtering house after house after house. He talked about how people were hearing that first day, like 12 more murdered, 30 murdered, 20 murdered. Like they're just murdered, murdered, murdered. She's like, this is crazy. And then she said her dad just told her, like, we're all going to die. We are all going to die. And, and long story short, she um, and, and several other gals, she left her family. All of her family was killed except for one brother. And and she hid in a bathroom that was three feet by four feet. And seven women hid, her being one of them, in that bathroom for 91 days. She said they just sat on each other. Of course, calling out to God as soldiers would come in and do sweeps of the house. Amazing stories about how they didn't open that door. They opened every other door. They, they did everything. They didn't open that door. She could talk about injustice all day, every day. None of us in America have ever experienced that kind of injustice, that kind of fear, that kind of craziness. And she had 45 minutes at a leadership conference to speak to hundreds of thousands of people. You know what she spoke on? The joy of forgiveness. And through all that, she talked about how God was faithful, how God was powerful, how God saved them, and how God helped her over the years to forgive all the people who have murdered her family and all her people. How many of us, if we were part of that kind of injustice, would say, we're going to need more than a protest. This is war. This is war. Once we get back on our feet, we're bringing tanks. We're bringing, like, it's going to be, and she's saying, I'm going to spend the rest of my life dedicated to telling people about Jesus and forgiveness. 
You want to enact change, you've got to deal wisely with authorities. You've got to ultimately realize who the ultimate power is. And you, even in enacting change, got to be bringing glory to him, not just fixing a cause. Ultimately, when you bring glory to him and you say, I'm going to honor you in this, you, the cause takes care of itself. And she's probably making more progress this way than if she said, here's all the things we need to do about injustice. No, she said, here's how to forgive people. Here's how to forgive people. Verse 10 through 14. All right. He says, I have seen wicked people buried with honor. So here's some of these injustices. Again, we've covered lots of them already. Yet they were the very ones who frequented the temple and are now praised in the same city where they committed their crimes. This too is meaningless. And when a crime is not punished quickly, people feel it is safe to do wrong. But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God. So Solomon, the whole point of Ecclesiastes, he gives at least five times throughout the book. His answer, and this is a thousand years before Jesus, fear God. Fear God. Guy with all the power, wisdom in the world. And he says, I'm not that big of a shot. Like God is God. I'm not God. Fear God. I know that those who fear God will be better off. Verse 13, and the wicked will not prosper for they do not fear God. So he's not just talking about on earth because some wicked people prosper on earth. Like he just said, people who are wicked, they get the best funerals and people who aren't wicked, like nobody even goes to their funeral sometimes. It's just, it's not fair. The wicked will not prosper for they do not fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. And this is not all that is meaningless in our world. In this life, good people are often treated as though they were wicked. And we've, we've seen that. And wicked people are often treated as though they were good. <laughs> this is so meaningless. Third thing we see. When it comes to the Bible, read, read the last page first. When you're wanting to fix your cause, promote your cause, read the last page first. Go to the back of this. Any of y'all bookworms? Anyone like to just read? Tonight, are you going to go home and just read? Like some people just love to read. Um, how many of you, you can't help? You get into like the first chapter and then you're like, I just got to go straight to the end. And you sneak, or maybe you hold off for a few chapters, but at some point you're like, nope, I can't do this anymore. I'm weak. I'm, I'm a literary, I'm weak and I just have to why do we do that? Why? Because number one, we want to know. We want to know how this thing ends. But number two, when you see how it ends, it actually helps the whole story to make sense, right? Like if someone becomes a Christian, I say, you know what? Jump into Leviticus. Let that be your intro into the faith. And they don't know how the whole thing goes. They just be like, this is crazy, right? And, and it helps. You see, I think... Um, I think ultimately what Solomon is telling us, being a judge, being a king himself, is not only is justice on earth going to be partial and ultimately flawed, um, but one day, one day, it will be taken care of. There's going to be a judgment day, and you've got to remember that all the time. If you lose sight of that, and you put your hope just in earthly justice, you will continuously be disappointed. 
Some of us know. We know people. We know grandmas, grandpas. Who, we know people who live in the court systems, right? Well, so-and-so's going to court. They got a court date. Well, hey, so-and-so's got a court. It's, they got, um, it's about their kids or it's about um, their, their divorce or it's just about run-ins with the law. And, and their lives rise and fall with what the judge said. And some of them know the judge better than they know their neighbors. It's like, if that's where your hope is, you're going to be so let down. So let down. And he's saying, you've got to remember. You've got to remember Judgment Day. You ever been or seen an injustice where you just, maybe in your own life, someone did you wrong and you just said, God, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this happen? Why would you even do this? Well, part of it is, and this isn't the only reason, but part of it is so that you and I remember, don't get too attached to this world. Don't find ultimate fulfillment. Let it reject you. Some of us just need to hear that. Let the world reject you and to say, I don't have all that you need. I can't satisfy you. Even our justice systems are going to be broken. You need something above the sun. You need, you need God. I know if you're like me, you've done something stupid before. We all do it all the time. Where You didn't have all the information. And so you had to make a decision or you chose to make a decision. And, and then you regretted it. Anyone ever done that? You just heard someone say, hey, did you know so-and-so did this? You're like, oh, I'm forgetting. I'm not even going to talk to him. I'm going to go call so-and-so, and we're going to take care of this. And we're going to, and then it works itself out. And you're like, oh, gosh, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have said that. Or I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have sent that email. I definitely wouldn't have texted that if I knew that that had happened. And you feel stupid? Let me show you a picture. This probably means nothing to you. This is, this is a picture of our kid sign, right? So um, this is on a Sunday night at like 8 or 9 o'clock. And... Uh, you can see the lights are on, and uh, this, you know, since we don't have a service going on, this should probably be inside, right? The wind blows, and it falls over. You can see it's all broken anyhow. And, and so um, this was a, a couple weeks ago. I was preaching in Hutch when we did the whole four-preacher thing, if any of you saw that. And I was tired. Man, you got, again, a couple thousand people on Saturday, on Sunday, that you're, you're preaching in front of, and you're talking to so many people. And, and you, the last thing, honestly, and this is going to sound horrible. The last thing I'm thinking about is coming back and turning off lights at the Salina campus. Um, but I rolled into town at like one, two o'clock and, and I saw that the sign was out there. I thought, hmm, okay. Then we were buzzing around town all Sunday afternoon and I thought, okay, it's still there. Every time we pass by, it's still there. Is someone going to put that away, right? Um, a little irritated inside because I'm like, oh, my boys, they know, they know that I'm one of those, like, if you're faithful in the little, you can be trusted. With but if someone's like, no, I want the big stuff, but I won't be faithful in the little stuff, then it's awkward and we have to talk and it's gonna, you're not going to like me. And then I'm going to say, why don't you like me? Well, I got to embrace that you don't like me because it's biblical. And, and, and so I, sh- I shot a picture over to him on our Slack. It's our inner church communication thing, and, and I threw it over to Joey and Logan and whoever else was on there, and I said, hey, you having service? You know, snarkiness, sarcasm is not, is not a good way to go about things. And, and I just said, hey, we having a Sunday night service? And um, just in case maybe they, they didn't know that. Well, immediately one of them said, hey, the security guy, the guy who's putting in our security system, he, um, he's in there. That's why the lights are on. So I immediately thought, yep. I was stupid. I should have, if I would have known that, I, I wouldn't have said that. And, and then the, the next morning, um, 
when we got to the leadership team meeting, I realized, well, the guy who would have been doing this without me there, who, who was responsible for this, he had family in town from another state. And so he went to lunch with them real quick and they had to send him off. And so like, he wasn't thinking about a sign. It's like, oh gosh, well, that makes sense. And so before you knew it, I was looking at it like, well, actually all of this makes sense. And if I would have known why it was the way it was and that, hey, Things were going on. They weren't just like, hey, let's mess with Ryan today and, and just leave things out and see how ticked he can get because he's only talked to us about this stuff 6,000 times. No, they weren't doing it. But in my mind, I'm driving by all day. So I'm like, they're probably trying to tick me off. They're probably, they're probably trying to poke a little bit because they didn't see me this weekend and they just want to mess with me. No, how often do we not knowing all the details we make judgment. And here's the thing. If, if you're going to try to enact change on earth and you're not thinking uh, about the fact that God will judge every person, no one will escape him. There will be justice in the end. You've got to remind yourself. You've got to read the last page. If you're like, gosh, this world's broken and people treat each other like junk and, and I'm trying to make things change, but I don't think that like some of these people are not going to get caught for their bad deeds. They're going to be exalted for their bad deeds and they're going to think that it's honorable. And I just got just to remember it. In, Genesis, or excuse me, in Revelation 20 and in verse 11, it says, okay, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Okay, there's a different throne. That's, that's different than what we have here on earth. And from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what is written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead. So the dead can't hide anywhere. The dead are just all getting judged and according to what they had done. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Okay. Now go about your cause. Realizing, I know how this ends. There will be ultimate justice. And just to humble ourselves, I need to make sure I'm on the right side of this thing. It may not feel like it, but all of humanity is walking towards an eternal courthouse about to be judged. And, and, and sometimes what we perceive as God's lack of presence or power, and why doesn't he change? Why doesn't he feed people who, who, who need food and, he, and help people who are being oppressed? And we say, God, you, are you not powerful? Are you not present? Sometimes it's just his patience saying, you got time to repent. I'm giving you time to repent. And it's not that he's not here. He's here. It's not that he's not powerful. He could change it in a second. But he's saying, I gave you the gospel 2,000 years ago. My answer for all of this junk has not changed. Spread that message. Live that message. And the very thing that we thought was God saying, I'm not part of this anymore. You guys just deal with yourself. Is actually God's loving kindness and patience saying, I'm giving you another opportunity. Thank God he's given humanity another chance to repent. Last but not least, verses 15 through 17. So this is, this is going to take a turn. <laughs> We're going to go from dark and the mood is like, ew, this stinks. What do we do? And here's Solomon, like a crazy old grandpa saying, let's just, let's just have a blast. He says in verse 15, so I recommend having fun. That sounds good. How many of you are like, you go to the doctor and they're like, oh gosh, the reports are horrible. 
you might have, oh my God, I don't want to say it, you might have cancer. So what do we do? I recommend having fun. I recommend like having a black, you'd be like, no, this doesn't fit. The, the diagnosis and the solution, they don't fit. And that's what it feels like a little bit. Because there's nothing better for people in this world than to eat, drink, and enjoy life. Do you enjoy life? Some of us just endure life. We don't enjoy life. So are you, are you fun? If you're not, you're disobedient to God. He's saying, have fun. Have fun. In some ways, it's not so much a commandment as much as it is an invitation. You've got to be able to sleep at night knowing you're doing your part and God's using you, but you can't fix all this yourself. You're going to have to trust God's sovereignty, that he's going to redeem and change this world. And that's the spirit behind this whole thing. That way they will experience some happiness along with all the hard work God gives them under the sun. So he's not saying, just ignore it. Just ignore all the problems. No, he's saying, this is going to be tough. The church has got a job to do. But enjoy life. In my search for wisdom and in my observation of people's burdens here on earth, I discovered that there is ceaseless activity day and night. So if you think we're going to get to an end, no, <laughs> there's always, there's always something. People are moving. They're constantly uh, changing. Things are happening. There's always going to be another cause. There's always going to be something to fight for until Jesus ends um, on judgment day. All of this chaos. And he says, finally, I realize that no one can discover everything God is doing under the sun. Not even the wisest people discover everything, no matter what they claim. We just don't know it all. Last but not least, you want to enact change? Enjoy life with the Prince of Peace. Enjoy life. So the mood changes. The mood changes. And you say, what do we got to do now? Like, we should just be more devoted and more religious and more sober. Like, we should, we should just be serious about everything because this is so crazy. Yeah, it is serious. And we should be sober-minded. And we do need to be devoted. But he's saying, you got to be able to breathe a little bit. You got to be able to breathe. It's not a sin to enjoy life with Jesus. I think a lot of uh, Christians leave a lot on the table when it comes to God. You know, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. How many of us experience that peace? Some of us just experience drama all the time. We don't experience much peace. And there's a huge difference, whether it's social issues or just life in general, just your life, just the way you feel today between apathy and peace. Now, we've talked about enjoying eating, drinking, life with God, We've talked about that. We got that in previous sermons. So let me, let me finish this tonight by taking a turn. And, and it's maybe going to feel like it doesn't fit, but it, but it does. Just stick with me. Let, me. let me give you an example of um, a parallel in the Old Testament and New Testament about apathy and peace. Because you might think that, um, well, they look similar, but they feel completely different. Jonah Jonah, <laughs> running from God, he, um, he was apathetic. He said, oh, I heard that Nineveh, they got issues. They're broken, and it's a horrible society. And God says, I want you to go help and redeem it. Go share my message with them. Tell them to repent. He's like, no, not doing it. And so he takes off, right? He takes off, and he finds himself in trouble. Now, <clears throat> fast forward, Mark chapter 4. Jesus finds himself in a very similar situation. And I want to show you some similarities between 
Jesus and Jonah. And I want to show you how Jesus is the better Jonah who brings us peace. I promise this is going somewhere. Bear with me. Let me show you seven similarities if you've never seen them before with Jesus and Jonah. You remember both of them? They were on a boat, right? There's a boat and, and they were doing their thing. Jonah 1, Mark 4. There's a boat. Number two, there's a storm. Both of them are in a storm and it's crazy and, and it's not a fun experience. But then number three, both of them went to sleep. How weird. Here's the difference. Remember, Jesus is sleeping out of peace. Jonah's sleeping out of apathy. Don't care anymore. I'm not doing God's will. If I, if this, if I die, whatever. Number four, they're both prophets. So they're both people of influence who could enact some change. Number five, they both had people around them who were angry. They were all freaking out. They were like, man, we're going to die. The disciples said, Jesus, we're going to die on this, uh, on this boat. And the people around Jonah were like, we're going to die. Number six, they both had people who were obviously angry, but they woke them and rebuked them. The disciple says, Jesus, do you not even care if we're going to perish? And yet with Jonah, those sailors said, somebody caused this, pray to God to fix this. And then number seven, and this is the most important similarity between the two, and you might not think it at first, both of them were cast into the deep to calm the wrath of God. You say, wait, that don't make sense. Because Jonah, he was obviously, like he said, it's my fault, you throw me overboard, it's going to change. They threw him overboard, (laughs) right? But Jesus, didn't he just say, peace, and he calmed the wind, the storm, everything, it all bowed down to him. He didn't get thrown over into the water. Fast forward to Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. I promise this is going somewhere. Hang with me here. And and Jesus talking to his disciples says, don't you know this wicked generation has a sign, the sign of Jonah? That's the only sign that's going to be given to them. And he says, essentially, For three days and three nights, he was in the belly. And I'm going in to, for three days and three nights, the belly. And he says, because someone greater than Jonah is here. Well, why am I telling you all this? What is the point of all this? Listen to me. Listen to me. Jonah, wanting peace in his life, says, I don't want to do God's will. So I know there's some social issues over there, some sin issues. I'm going to bail and I'm going to chase like a bunch of crazy protesters in the street peace, all in the name of my life, and hopefully I can influence other people. And he goes and he runs, and he finds that he can't bring peace to his own life. He's thrown overboard, and he had to sacrifice his life for the wrath of God. But by the grace of God, he saved him. But his game plan wasn't good. He couldn't get peace for his own life, much less peace for anyone else. And yet by the one life of Jesus, he goes down into death, and for three days, He experiences it before he, by the power of God, is raised again so that everyone might have peace in his name. We've got a whole bunch of people fighting in the name of peace without God on their side, thinking they're going to change this culture, racism, sexism, ageism, all the isms in the world. You're going to do this without God? You can't bring peace to your own life. Ask those protesters how their personal lives are going. And if they ain't got Jesus in them, they're going to tell you about some drama. And even if they do got Jesus, they might still tell you about some drama, but they're going to have a peace that transcends understanding. They're talking about protesting for peace. They got the right to protest. But I think our culture is crazy to think we're going to bring to others what we can't bring to ourselves. 
And Jesus, knowing this, says, I'm the greater Jonah. I'm the better Jonah. I'm going to fulfill the Father's will and by it, give peace to the nations if they want it because I'm the prince of peace. And so ultimately what Solomon's saying with all of this stuff tonight it is the way to respond to a wicked, broken culture that we live in. If you want to enact change in the chaos, you don't sit back and ignore it saying, well, I'm just apathetic, don't care, like Jonah, I'm going to run and, and just fall asleep on a boat. And, and you don't go to the other ditch and say, no, we're just going to fight harder. We're just going to do it. If enough people rally together, we can do this. But you realize we need something bigger and better than the wickedness. We need a peace that only comes from God. If you want to enact change, you've got to find the Prince of Peace. You've got to enjoy life with him. And when you got him, you've got to share him with other people. Laws ain't going to change the junk going on because it can't change a man's heart. People who lack peace aren't going to bring peace to a world. They can't bring peace to themselves. But when you know the Prince of Peace, you can share the Prince of Peace. You want to say, and I'm going to sum up with this and we're going to close out in prayer. You want to say, how can I actually change this world? You make a disciple of Jesus. You say right here in Salina, Kansas, I'm going to know peace because I know God. I'm going to have peace with Jesus and knowing that I don't have to experience his wrath anymore. And then I'm going to share that with other people. I'm going to invite other people into that and say, you can have peace, a peace that transcends all understanding because I know the prince of peace. When you introduce the world to him, you ain't got to worry about changing laws. You ain't got to worry about trying to change their heart. Jesus knows how to do that. He'll take care of it. He fulfilled the law and he changes hearts. Let's pray.